Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we thank you for everything that this day represents, both in the natural and also spiritually. God, we thank you for the sacrifices made by great men and great women who laid down their very lives that we might enjoy the freedoms and the liberties we now experience in these United States. Likewise, Father, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that was shed at Calvary so that we too could have liberty and eternal life. And for this, we are eternally grateful. Father, I pray that for the next few minutes, as we gather around your word, that you will minister a word in season that will encourage us, that will comfort us, that will exhort us. I thank you, Father, for the privilege to be your outspeaker, to declare your oracles, your plan, your wisdom, your counsel. I thank you for the hearts of your people, that they are receptive to the things that you will say this Independence Day. As we acknowledge our total dependence upon you, our independence from sin, and our interdependence on each other. And it's in the matchless name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and uh, happy Fourth of July to you. Uh, my name is Ray Harmon. I'm not originally from the United States, but I got here as quickly as I could. And I made my way to Texas even faster. Amen. This is God's country, y'all. And uh, it's uh, Independence Day, and um, it's such a privilege, such an honor to live in these United States, the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Uh, as an outsider, uh, so to speak, someone from another nation, uh, it's, uh, I can truly say that. Um, the, the things that so many people take for granted, the freedoms and, and, uh, and the things that come so easily for most Americans uh, are, are things that the rest of the world desires and covets from those days in Ellis Island and all the way to DFW now that's a major entry point to this great country. People clamor to enjoy the freedoms and the liberties that you have so richly been provided and sacrificially provided uh, by some of the people we celebrate today, and that's our, our veterans and our fighting men. Uh, I'm such a veteran myself, had the privilege of serving with the 101st Airborne Division at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I wore my Screaming Eagle patch with pride, and I wish I could patch it on this jacket, but I like this jacket too, so, so I didn't put it on there. But uh, so honored to be here with you. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not give honor to whom honor is due, and that's the lead pastor of this great church, uh, Pastor Ron, uh, who is quickly becoming a dear friend. Uh, 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 pastor Ron uh, visited our church a couple of years ago, and, and I happened to be the one speaking on the 4th of July of 2008, and uh, shared a message similar to what I'm going to share with you uh, this afternoon. And, uh, and uh, this is what I believe, that God's coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. A lot of times things happen in our lives, and God chooses not to put his signature on it, but it's been God all along. As Pastor Ron began to share how he even came to our church, it was an accident. He was looking for another church called C3, and our church was Celebration Covenant Church, and he drove onto the, the property, and he thought he was at C3, but he was actually at Celebration Covenant Church. That Sunday, I happened to be the one sharing the message, sharing my story, sharing my testimony of God's faithfulness, and two years later, I got an email from Pastor Ron inviting me to come and speak here at, uh, at Rock Point Church, and uh, again, uh, God's signature, God's handwriting is all over it, and so I'm deeply honored and privileged, and I believe that's your lovely wife by your side, is that right? Amen, amen, it's a pleasure to, to meet you, I guess, even though I haven't met you, but it's good to see you. My lovely wife is on the front row, and, uh, and she's my better half, I'm a better man for her. Abraham had Sarah, right, Jacob had Leah, he had Rachel, and, uh, and uh, Fred Sanford had Wheezy, y'all, yeah, George Jefferson, right? No, Fred Sanford had Elizabeth, did he? George Jefferson had Wheezy, and, and I've got my Wendy Sheila, and I'm just honored and privileged today. Uh, I'm going to take a few minutes to share uh, a few thoughts with you, share my story uh, of God's faithfulness and God's goodness. Um, Blessed are the short-winded, for they shall be asked to speak again. So I'm going to take a, a few minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Pastor, Pastor Ron's been extremely generous, and he's given me more time than I think I need to share, and, uh, but uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, let's pray. Huh? We'll look to the God's word. Father, I thank you again for this privilege of sharing your word. 
use everything I say today to minister to your people. I trust you to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. On this 4th of July, I wondered where I would start. My story, if I were to tell you every detail, uh, would, would take days. It's just that kind of story of God's goodness and God's faithfulness to me and to my family. I've chosen today to share a few highlights, a few high points from my story. And, uh, and as I thought about what to share, I began to reflect on the fact that every trophy has a story. In fact, the Bible says that we are all trophies of God's grace. And I can just imagine maybe 20 years from now as Michael Jordan is sitting with his grandkids, he'll sit them on his lap and begin to recount the stories of how he won those six championships. Uh, the buzzer beaters, the defense, the time he played when he was afflicted with flu and played through his pain and, and won that important game. And every trophy has a story, I think. For all of us, even those of us who have our little league trophies on the mantle from 20, 30 years ago, there's a story attached to that, and we love to recount those stories. But the same is true for God, that we are trophies of His grace, and we each have our own God story of how our lives radically intersected. In fact, for some of us, our lives may have collided with God's purpose. For some of you, it's a love story of how God captured your heart. It's kind of like Twilight, Edward and Bella, for some of you. Right? <laughs> I don't know. For some of you, it's like me, man. It was a straight-up UFC wrestling match, man. It was brutal. And God used the Civil War to get my attention. But God is so committed to us. God is so committed to us. That God will use whatever it takes to win our hearts. In fact, when I think of my story and my God encounter, I'm reminded of a man named Jacob who wrestled with God till the breaking of day. See, Jacob was a self-made man. Now, Jacob negotiated his way out of second place into first place when he, when he negotiated Esau's birthright. And, and, and he had always done life on his own Terms And then one night he has this encounter with God, and the Bible said he wrestled with God until the breaking of day, and he said, I won't let go until you bless me. And God had to strike him in his hip before Jacob would let go. I mean, that's what it took for me. Uh, he had to strike me in my hip. I am convinced, y'all, that there are only two kinds of people in the world, those who walk with a strut and those who walk with a limp. Those who walk with a strut have taken credit for what has happened in their lives, every accolade, every achievement, every accomplishment. But for those who will be used of God, God has a way of striking us in the hip so that he can take away our strut and replace it with a limp. And that limp is a constant, lifelong reminder of those of us who wrestled with God, but God prevailed. So what I share with you to today is not from a strut, but from a limb. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that we serve a God who's not just a God of the second chance, because most of us would have been disqualified, right? No, he's the God of new beginnings. And God wants to offer each of us a new beginning today as we celebrate Independence Day. Our total dependence and reliance upon him our independence from sin, and our interdependence upon each other. It's born and raised halfway across the world, halfway across the Atlantic, in the tiny emerging democracy in Liberia, a nation founded by freedmen from America, freed slaves who returned to Liberia to establish this nation. At the time of the Civil War, we were a nation of 2.2 million people. Now we're up to 3 and a half million people. Enjoyed relative peace and calm from about 1847 to 1989. In fact, our national currency was the U.S. dollar. So people came from all over the world and did business in Liberia and took the money out. It was a peaceful country up until the Civil War started on Christmas Eve of 1989. And my family was directly affected 
because I was born into a multi-generational political family, four senators and one vice president. And if any of you follow African politics, you know that African politics is extremely violent, extremely bloody. And for this civil war, it would be no different. Within six months, the rebels had moved from the northern part of Liberia and had surrounded the capital city. Through a series of events, I was separated from my family. My older brother Josh and I were separated from our parents. At the time, I was only 18 years old. No one writes a how-to manual for dummies on how to survive a civil war as a teenager. And here I was at 18 years old in 1990 with no food, with no money, just the clothes on my back. The one thing I knew was that my parents had made it across the border into Sierra Leone. And now these young men, myself and my brother, had to figure out how we would first of all survive the Civil War and somehow be reunited with my parents. You have so much to be thankful for in these United States. So at 18 years old, this was my indoctrination, this was my rites of passage into manhood. Because now I'm fending for myself. I've got no mommy or daddy to call on. It's just me and my older brother and a God we barely knew. See, I grew up in Episcopalian. They called us the Frozen Chosen. And if there are any Episcopalians here, don't say to you. I was one. I was an Episcopalian. No offense. And uh, I knew very little about God. I mean, God was just, he was the creator of the universe. He was out there somewhere. And maybe he knew I existed, but he was never father. He was never Abba father. He wasn't my heavenly father. I didn't think I was his son. I knew he created me, and I knew he created the universe, but somehow I had to trust that this God I barely knew would bring me to safety. I still remember October 6th of 1990, and the reason I remember that date is because it was my younger brother's birthday. My younger brother had made it across the border with my parents. He had been with them when we were separated. And that morning... I was overwhelmed with this sense that I would never see my parents or my younger brother again. It just hit me like a Mack truck. And I curled up under this dining room table in the fetal position and wept bitterly for hours. I had no idea that somehow God would bring me We lived in a house, uh, probably about 1,500 square feet. Uh, We had sought refuge in this house. A friend of mine's dad had opened up his house, about 1,500 square feet, with 28 other people. No running water, no electricity, and no food except what you could scavenge from the the, the trees, the fruit trees, or, or what you could dig up out of the ground. In fact, what made it even worse was that my brother and I weren't allowed to go outside of the house because all around us were the very rebels that were pursuing us. So for three months, we're trapped inside of a house. In fact, every time we needed to take a bath, someone would go down to the creek and bring back water for us and we could only take baths at night when it was too dark for anyone to see who we were. Three months trapped behind rebel lines, surrounded by rebels, and on October 6th, finally dawned on me. You're never going to see your parents again. You're never going to see your brother again. And I'm curled up in the fetal position, man, and I'm bawling my eyes out. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, man, I see someone, I see this hand. It's a woman's hand, and she slips this gospel tract between the legs of the chair Uh, the chair, one of the chairs around the dining room table. I stared at it, and finally I gathered my composure long enough to wipe the tears from my eyes, and and I took this tract, and and I began to read it. And this gospel tract was the story of a United States Air Force pilot who had been shot down over Vietnam. And for seven years, he was a prisoner of war, had been brutally tortured, but the one thing that kept him The one thing that sustained him for those seven years was a verse of scripture that he memorized, guess where? 
in children's church. Aren't you thankful for children's church and your children's church volunteers? Yeah. Imagine that. That the one thing that would sustain the prisoner of war is something that he learned as a child. And that verse of scripture was Jeremiah 29, 11. And in that moment, I had this defining moment and everything changed. My fear was eclipsed by the faith that came from knowing that God had a plan for me. Because that verse simply says, for I know. This is God speaking to Israel. And he says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Oh, my goodness. When I read those words, the faith of God just began to rise within my heart, and I knew that it would be okay. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew on the inside that it would be okay. And maybe you've never experienced a civil war. Maybe you've never been curled up in the fetal position under a dining room table. Maybe you've never had to face and confront rebels. But you might be in a place like I was, overwhelmed with fear, dreading tomorrow, not sure what's going to happen, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's in your own life personally. And God's word to you today from the lips of an African who saw God do it for him, a God who has no respecter of persons, a God who will do it for you, if you'll simply believe, is this. I know the plans I have for you. In fact, I have it in three different renditions, three different verses, and I love the Amplified, but my favorite is the message translation, and it simply says, I know what I'm doing. Woo, I love that. That's God, man. That's God's text message to you today. That's God's instant message is I am to you today. I know what I'm doing. Regardless of what you might be confronted with today, regardless of what you might be experiencing today, God spoke those words to me 20 years ago when I was trapped behind rebel lines, confined to a house, when I couldn't get across the border because the border was heavily fortified with tanks and rebels everywhere. God said, I know what I'm doing. The problem with that statement is uh, uh, we like to be in charge. But the truth of the matter is God is in control. Uh, uh, in spite of what I think is my self-sufficiency and my ability to fix everything, God is sovereign. You see, when our lives are shaken, sometimes we come running to God only to find that God's the one doing the shaking. In fact, he said, he will shake everything about our lives that can be shaken so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. And my goodness, uh, my 10 months separated from my parents behind rebel lines, that was a shaking. But God's assurance to us today, his promise, he says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Wow. He's got the script to your life already written. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. God knows the end from the beginning, and he knows everything in between. In fact, I like what Mike Tyson said. He said, everybody has a plan until they get hit. And then somehow the plan goes out the window, right? Uh, uh, and that's what usually happens to our lives. We have it scripted. It's going to happen this way, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And all of a sudden we get hit by life because life happens to us all. And what do we turn to? We turn to a God who has a plan. And this is what I love. It says he has plans to take care of you, uh, not to abandon you. Now, let me tell you what my experience was like in this house. Right, uh, 30 people. Such a, a wonderful man, Henry Ward Sr., took us in, right, 30 people. Most of them were distant relatives who were displaced, right, who had, their, their, their towns had been burned, and they had to get out and escape with just the clothes on their back. He opened up his home in the middle of a civil war, had a family himself that he needed to feed. 
And all they had, man, in Liberia, we have the 100-pound bags of rice, right? He had, he had a 100-pound bag of rice for his family to feed. So all these people start showing up, including me. And every time his kids ate, we ate. In fact, uh, the, the girls ate separately and the guys ate separately, right? Because rice is a staple food in Liberia. Right? So we had this big uh, tub, right, aluminum tub. Man. And it would cook this one meal a day at noon. I don't know about you, but unless you're wanting to get in shape, you don't want to eat one meal a day, right? Unless it's some kind of special diet, right? So this is how we lived for three months, one meal a day. With all the guys around that little tub of rice, we would squat, and all you got, maximum, the record, was five scoops, handfuls of rice for three months. And that's how we lived. But God provided. He said, I have plans to take care of you. I'll give you a house with 28 other people. I'll give you one meal a day. I'll feed you with manna from heaven. But guess what? I have plans to give you the future you hope for. See, the truth is God is always doing so much more than you and I can see. You see, what God saw 20 years from my fetal position crawled up under a table was he saw Rock Point Church. Uh, And he probably saw me sharing this message of his faithfulness at Rock Point Church. He probably even saw Elevate Life Church where I serve as an associate pastor. When I was crawled up in that fetal position, what does that mean? Maybe your circumstances seem overwhelming to you today, but God sees so much more than what you could see. He has a plan to give you a hope, a future, and an expected end. I could tell you the story of how we even crossed the border. In fact, I think I will. You guys get to hear it. The first two services didn't, so you're very special. Amen. I had a necklace that my mom gave me. It was the only thing that I had. didn't have any pictures. I just had this necklace that my mom gave me. My friend, Henry Watt Jr., who had allowed us, who brought us to his house, befriended the rebels. He's a real smart guy, real techie. And so he befriended the rebels, and he started to repair their radios, their walkie-talkies, the whole nine yards. So they would take stuff. Because this was a rubber plantation, it was a British rubber plantation, they had airlifted all the the expatriates, so their homes were filled with furniture and silverware, and the rebels would go in, and they would take the furniture to the border and sell it. Well, Henry started taking these trips to, to the border with these guys. Because we had no money and no food, and all I had was this necklace, and they were running out of rice, I was like, man, might as well do something with this necklace. So I give this necklace that my mom gave me to Henry. Says, Henry, you take this across the border and sell it and bring back some money so my brother and I can give these guys in the house some money to buy food to bring back to them. Uh, Henry takes the necklace and comes back with no money and no necklace. And this is the story he gives me. Then I went across the border and I met this lady, right? She owns like this bed and breakfast thing. She works for the United Nations, and she said, if you'll make it across the border when you get there, she'll take care of you, and she'll give you the money. Right. Uh, That wasn't the plan, because I need the money now. But again, God made provision for us until we were able to cross the border. Now, there's another part of the story that I haven't told you that I need to tell you in order for you to understand how I got across the border. In Liberia, we do informal adoptions. If a family has the means to do it, they take a child in and they grow up with the biological children. You send them to school. They might do chores around the house. They might even assume the family name. We used to play soccer uh, in our backyard. And one day there's this young kid who sold what's called coconut candy. It's shredded candy and they, 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 they make it with sugar and stuff and he's walking by our house. We were down one person and we needed someone else to play, so we asked this kid if he would play, just a stranger. And he played with us that day and we became very good friends. So every time, he would come and play with us. One day, he says, will you ask your mom and your dad to take me in? And then we were so excited. So we go and we ask them and, yeah, yeah, 
we got to meet his mom first. If, your mom, if his mom says it's okay, we'll take him in. So we take in George, and he becomes a brother. We go to school, and then he graduates high school, and it's like, man, I'm going to go do my own thing. At the height of the Civil War, while we're separated from our parents, we're going through this part of Monrovia trying to get to Virginia. And as I explained to the first and second service, a lot of the cities in Liberia are named after U.S. states and U.S. cities. We're trying to get to Virginia. We go through this place called Jamaica Road. And as we're walking by Jamaica Road, guess who we see? It's George. And he's freaking out because he's like, what are you guys doing here, man? Don't you know there's a civil war going on? And we explained to him, we were trapped behind rebel lines. Our parents were separated from our parents. And he's like, I'm going with you. And he says, wait right here. And he runs to his house, grabs a couple of things, and he takes off with us. So George goes with us to Mr. Ward's house. He's one of the 30 people in the house. But probably after about two and a half weeks while he's out and about, which was okay for him because he wasn't a biological son. He's out and about trying to find food for us and stuff. He runs into his cousin, and his cousin is a rebel. George comes back to us that day, and he says to us, you guys need to get across the border, and the only way you'll be able to do that is if I become a rebel myself. George left us for about a month and a half, and when he finally came back, he came back with a guy that I had grown up playing the guitar with. We played in the same garage band. I got some skills, y'all. Yeah. It's one of the things I do at my church. I, one of the worship leaders there. And this guy he brought back with him, man, was in charge of the motor pool. So he was responsible for all the vehicles. And he says, man, I'm going to come back and get you guys uh, tomorrow. And, uh, and uh, so just have your stuff ready. And true to form, they came back the next day. And took us down to where they stayed. The day we were supposed to go across the border, they took all the vehicles and moved them to the front line. So we couldn't go that day. We ended up staying at this place for about a week before we finally crossed the border. The day we went to the border, I still remember, was October 24th. The reason I remember that is because that's United Nations Day and we celebrate United Nations Day in Liberia. Uh, the day we got to the border, it was like a complete ghost town. In fact, this border that's usually heavily fortified, there was only one guy checking all the passes. And when we got up there with George, George simply showed him his ID and says, they called themselves freedom fighters. They didn't call themselves rebels. Showed him his ID and says, I'm a freedom fighter. So what do you do? And say, I'm here. I'm just taking my brothers across the border. We're going to get something to eat. And man, there's a bridge that separates Liberia from Sierra Leone. And I still remember walking across that bridge to freedom and thinking to myself, what if someone recognizes us on this bridge? Will they take us back? Will they execute us? Well, we made it to safety and found this lady that Henry had given the necklace to, and she was extremely generous, extremely kind to us, and took care of us. Well, George refused to come with us. See, along the way, he had been corrupted a little bit, and the loot and the furniture and the money, he started to like a little bit too much. Uh, George ended up dying in an air raid uh, with the rebels. Uh, why do I share that part of the story? I'm not even sure why I'm sharing that part of the story in only this service. Uh, but the Bible says, greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his brother's. The reason I'm even here and the reason I could even get across the border is because George was willing on a level to lay down uh, his life. You see, God's plan is to give us life, to give us liberty, but I'm not 100% sure on the pursuit of happiness part. Because I want to talk to you a little bit about what this happiness thing really is. His plan for you According to John chapter 10 and verse 10, in fact, Jesus said, this is the reason I came. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In every area of your life, Jesus came to secure abundance. Abundance in your life personally, abundance in your life professionally, abundance in your relationships, abundance in, in everything that you set your hands to. Jesus came for that reason, according to John chapter 10 and verse 10. 
Secondly, Jesus came to bring liberty according to John 8.32. It says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And he says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But then over there in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus says these words. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the stuff will be added. Now, the Declaration of Independence, man, is a timeless document written by one of the most brilliant minds ever, Thomas Jefferson. But I would argue and I would submit to you that in light of kingdom context, maybe he got the pursuit of happiness thing wrong because at best, the pursuit of happiness is elusive. I like what Zig Ziglar says. Most of us climb the ladder of success only to find that his ladder has been leaning up against the wrong building. Yeah. Yeah. So what is this pursuit of happiness thing? What Jesus guaranteed was our fulfillment if we would do things his way. See, I believe that happiness begins with an understanding that God's plan includes you. That's, a, that's good news. That God's plan includes me. Out of the six billion people walking the face of the earth today, out of the millions, millions of people who call DFW their home, out of the thousands of people who call the city of Flower Mound their home, and out of the hundreds of people who call Rock Point Church their church, God's plan includes you. In fact, the Bible says he knows us by name. The very hairs on our head are numbered. He doesn't know the total number of hairs, but when you go get a haircut, he knows that that's hair 1,569 that just fell to the floor. He's intimately acquainted with every detail of our lives. God's plan includes you. When you think of the big picture, you are one of the pixels that makes the picture work. But here's the second half of that statement. While God's plan includes each of us, God's plan doesn't revolve around us. It's not about me. And it's not only about us. I love what Christine Kane said. She says, what I am a part of is so much bigger than the part I play. What you are a part of here at Rock Point Church is so much bigger than the part you play individually. What God is doing in the world through his church, what God is doing in the world through Rock Point Church, is so much bigger than the part we play. And if we're going to experience, not happiness, because happiness is really circumstantial, right? It's based on the present conditions. So if things are going well, I'm happy. If things aren't going so well, I'm sad. So I think Mr. Jefferson may have gotten it wrong because happiness is predicated on my present condition. But Jesus came so that we would have fulfillment. And the place we find fulfillment, where we discover fulfillment, is finding his plan and his purpose for our lives. And there is no higher purpose, no greater plan than to live to serve others. When we came to Sastown, this was about halfway, the halfway point between Monrovia and, uh, and the border. We were walking in this single file line because back then you had to walk. The only people in vehicles were the rebels. If you were a civilian, you walked everywhere you went and you had to walk in single file line. Many times the rebels would start to shoot indiscriminately at people as they walked in the single file line, you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to say anything. Their reasoning was, my gun hasn't eaten all day. It's time to eat. And they would fire into these single file lines indiscriminately. Many of these young men were as young as 9 and 10 years old, and some of them were the most fierce, the most, the most vicious of the rebels. Because many of them had been severely drugged and misled. On the other hand, many of them had seen their very own parents, their mothers, brutally murdered. And the only thing they knew was revenge. So much to be thankful for living here in America. You truly live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. We're walking in a single file line and we come to, to this checkpoint. It's, a, it's an abandoned gas station 
and, uh, and all these rebels, man, are having this conversation. It's, it's really animated. It's really heated. They're arguing about something. And they turn around and they see me and they see my brother, man. And all of a sudden, silence. Because these rebels were from my hometown. Many of them are peers. In fact, one of them went to school with my brother Josh. And Josh, growing up, had always been the troublemaker. He was kicked out of Catholic school, went to a Methodist school. And, uh, and uh, so they pull us out of the line. And they take us into this open area. It's kind of like a, a foyer, a foyer, foyer. Is that more civilized? Foyer? Vase, vase. So we're in this foyer. And uh, this guy has this pistol pointed to my brother's uh, temple the whole time. And they're asking us all these questions. And all of a sudden, he said, we're going to hold you and your brother here until our CO comes, our commanding officer, Oliver Varney, who had a reputation for being uh, brutal, had a reputation for being ruthless. They throw us into this makeshift cell, which I guess had been a room of some sort, and it's in the middle of the building, so there was no sunlight coming in, and it was pitch dark. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. Uh, There's a guy in the room who's been brutally tortured. Uh, Can't see him, but he's groaning in agony. In fact, he had been tied up, and they had this way they tied up uh, people that they arrested. And uh, it's a method they learned in Libya. The first hundred rebels who entered Liberia were trained in Libya. And they would tie you elbow to elbow, stretch you until you were elbow to elbow, and tie you with this rope, and then tie you heels to elbow uh, for hours. And here's this guy. He's got his elbows tied behind his back, his heels touching his elbow. He's been brutally beaten only because he was a Coast Guard officer. And here we are, uh, the sons of the senator, four generations of senators, right? Uh, uh, In that moment, I find myself and my brother exchanging our final words. It's surreal, man. It's it's wild. Uh, You're 18 years old and your brother's 20 years old. And you're, you're, you're sharing your childhood memories and thanking him for the things he did right because you're not sure if he's going to make it another hour. In the meantime, there's this commotion going on outside because a few of the rebels are saying, let them go. There's no, let, let's, be, let's be kind to them, let's be merciful to them. And then there's other guys, men are just adamant. We're going to keep them here until CEO Oliver comes. They're going to give us the order to execute them. We will kill them. Today, they're the reason for the problem in this country. So we're hearing all this chatter outside. And we're hearing this dude groaning inside. All of a sudden, he gets quiet, right? You hear him unlock the door. Uh, they bring us outside and they present us to this guy. Again, mid, mid-20s, 26, 25, 26, maybe 27. And he says to my brother and, and he says to me, do you know who I am? He says, no, sir, we don't know who you are. He says, my name's Karika, and he says it emphatically. And the cool thing about the rebels, man, all the rebels had nicknames, right? Had nicknames like Chuck Norris, Rambo, Commando, Schwarzenegger. They wore dresses and wigs. I wish I had brought some pictures for you guys to see, right? Uh, And he says, my name's Karika. And he says, but I know who you are. He said, in fact, as a young man, I would walk... A lot like George. I would walk past your house. They had a long driveway. He said, every time we walked past your house, your mom would stand at the uh, driveway, at the gate. And she said, I, he said, I, we would be on our way to the market with my mom. His mom sold oranges. So it was the best of times for one, the worst of times for the other. And he says, your mom would always stop and talk to my mother may not be a big deal for the American mind, but uh, in Liberia, man, this bougie wife of a senator, man, wow, talking to a market woman? Never happened. Not only did my mom speak to her and have this lengthy conversation with her, she spoke to her in gribble. Not in English. Another big no-no, right? You're supposed to be proper and speak only English. People ask me, where'd you learn your English? I learned my English in Africa. I grew up speaking English. So 
So my mom would stop and speak to this woman in Gribble. Not only that, Tarika continues his story and says, Sometimes your mom would buy me an orange from my mom's supply, and then sometimes she'd give me a piece of candy. Uh, he said, Sometimes that was the only time anything crossed these lips. He says, because your mom was kind to me and your mother and, 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 and my mother, I'm going to let you guys go. In that moment, he gave them an order to release us immediately. As we started down the road, we had to get away from this checkpoint back. Uh, what was the main highway of the Ibrahim Babangida Highway. As we're walking down this highway, we're a few yards away from the checkpoint. Down the road, probably 100 yards, 200 yards, there's these three SUVs with rebels hanging out of it. RPGs, M16s, AK-47s, and it's C.O. Oliver Varney. If we had been there maybe a few minutes later, uh, you probably would not have heard of a Ray Harmon. Why do I share that story? I simply share that story. I'm getting emotional again. Um, But my mom's simple kindness to a woman that most people thought was insignificant saved our lives because a young man who received a random act of kindness decided to pay it forward. Uh, My wife is here and she knows that every time we go to a restaurant and And I talk to a waiter or a waitress every time I meet a bank teller, every time I meet a stranger. I'm reminded that maybe my random act of kindness toward them might save my son or my daughter's life 15 or 20 years from now. What I do know is that success is what happens to us, but significance is what happens through us. And I'm not so sure anymore if the pursuit of happiness is what this thing is all about. Because my mom was pretty happy. She was pretty comfortable. But what if God positions us in a place of privilege to impact one life? That your random act of kindness today might be a boomerang that might come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Maybe not in your generation, but maybe in the life of your son or your daughter. Happiness begins with understanding that God's plan includes you, but it's not about you. God created us. When God created us, he had others in mind because everything that God created, he created to be the solution to a problem. There was darkness that filled the earth, and God said, let there be light. So God created light in response to a problem in the earth. What that means is when God created you, I want you to think about that for a second. When God created you, he had a very specific problem in mind, and he said, I want for you to be the answer to that problem. I want you to be the solution to that prayer. And not only did he create you to be the solution to the prayer, he uniquely wired you and fitted you, custom built you, designer original, to get the job done. In fact, my pastor at Elevate Life Church, Keith Craft, always says that God has given us a unique fingerprint so that you can leave a unique imprint that no one else can leave. See, the truth of the matter is if all I try to do is be like someone else, the best I could ever be is second. But God has created you to be unique and to do something truly unique in the lives of his people. Who you are and what you are created to do is not for you to decide. It's for you to discover. What does that mean? God decided that already. God decided what he had called you to do, what he called you to accomplish. And all we have to do is discover what God already decided. It's God-appointed, not self-assumed. So the question then is, if I'm part of God's plan and it's not about me, then what is my kingdom assignment? Jesus came announcing his mission statement in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, and this is what he said. 
He says, the spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me. Right? He, he's empowered me. He's enabled me to do a few things, to preach the gospel, to set at liberty those who are captive, recovery of sight to the blind, to give them vision again for their lives, to see things they never saw before. Well, the truth of the matter is today that God has come or Jesus came to give us life and liberty, but I'm not sure about the pursuit of happiness part. I think more than the pursuit of happiness, what he came for is to bring us into a place of fulfillment. And we can only discover fulfillment for our lives when we make a conscious decision to serve others. Because God created us to be the solution to a problem. Now, only you can fill in the blank. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. And as I close, let me just tell you where to start. Because over there in the book of Acts, the Bible says that God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good. Wow. How do I discover my kingdom assignment? Just simply do good. In fact, do good to those who may not be able to repay you. And God's promise is that we always reap what we sow. What does that mean? You don't always reap where you sow, but you'll always reap what you sow. You might be kind to someone who will hate you, who will despise you. But God's promise is that kindness will be returned to you because you will always reap what you sow, not always where you sow. I got a phone call from my friend in Uganda. We both went to Bible school together. He's from Michigan, Matthew Catanella, and uh, he's a missionary to Uganda now, and he called me up. He's all excited, man, and he says to me, Ray, what's going on with you, man? I was like, I don't know, how about you tell me you're so excited, right? He said, man, I've been praying for you all week. Angela and I have been praying for you all week. He said, I need you to read Jonah chapter 4 and verse 11. So I said, hey, man, I'm driving. I'll be at the house in a couple minutes. And I get home, man. I, I rip open my Bible and I turn to Jonah chapter 4 and verse 11. It's the last verse of scripture in the book of Jonah. And it simply says, should I not have pity on that great city Nineveh? where there are 120,000 people who cannot discern their right hand from their left. And in that moment, it was almost like that verse of Scripture exploded on the inside of me because what God began to say was, should I not have pity upon that great nation, Liberia, where there are three and a half million people who cannot discern their right hand from their left. I shared with the earlier service that when I went back to Liberia in 2004, I went to the... uh, the disarmament camp where they had disarmed the rebels. Many of these young men were as young as 9 and 10 years old when they started fighting. Now, 14 years later, they're in their early 20s, can't read or write, have no skills, and they're lining up for food. And it's almost like 20-year-old men trapped in 12-year-old bodies. And we got involved with them. I went back again in 2004 because there was a business opportunity that didn't quite work out. But this time around, man, Jonah 4.11, a guy who serves in our parking lot at my church. Right? These are the random acts of kindness I'm talking about. Right? That, that person in, ch- in, in children's church watching your kids could be a solution to the thing that you're supposed to do next. So there's a guy who serves in our parking lot at the church. Comes up to me and says, Pastor Ray, I really need to talk to you. There's this guy I want you to meet. I said, okay. It's this guy I do prison ministry with. And, uh, man, he, he wants to go to Liberia, and, uh, and um, uh, I think you guys should meet, right? So I said, yeah, give him my number. Let's set up a meeting. Right? It's a guy I barely know. So he calls up this guy. We set up the meeting, and I go and meet with this guy. Six weeks later, Pastor Ron, we were in Liberia. I just got back from Liberia on Monday. Let me tell you who this guy is. How many basketball fans do we have in the house? A few basketball fans. When Ray Allen came out of college, he was known as the professional athlete with no agent. Reason for that? Mark Christie, this business partner of mine, was the one who negotiated his contract, including his $70 million contract with the Supersonics. Not only was he his business manager, he also negotiated Ray Allen's movie deal with Denzel Washington. He got game. Not only that, he was the business manager for several other professional athletes. How did it happen? 
It happened simply because someone in the parking lot said, there's this guy you need to meet. But before that even happened, God had already been dealing with my heart. You need to go back and help your people. You need to leave the comfort and the security of Frisco, Texas. The shopping malls. That's my wife who said hallelujah. The manicures and the pedicures. I don't get the mani-pedis. My wife does, right? The massages and all the comforts and the conveniences of life in America. And when I position my heart to do that, all of a sudden, there's this big-time cat, man, that God aligns me with. A company here in Dallas that wants to work in emerging nations. And the project we're working on is going to potentially feed the entire nation of Liberia. We met with private landowners. So we've already entered negotiations for 17,000 acres of land in one part of the country and another 30,000 acres of land in another part of the country. None of the money's coming out of my pockets. God's already made the provision simply because I was other-centered. What does that mean today? That God wants to do the same thing for you in the midst of a recession. If we'll simply position our hearts to be other-centered. Listen long enough to that woman passing by you selling oranges. Because that person could be the clue to the assignment that you have next. When we stop being self-centered and trying to climb that ladder of success that's leaning on the wrong wall. God has a definite plan and a specific purpose for your life that he's uniquely wired you for. And every circumstance that you have survived is for this moment. It only gets better from here on this Independence Day. Let me pray for you. Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that you will seal this word in the hearts of your people. That, God, we would acknowledge and recognize truly that you have come to give us life, liberty, and fulfillment. I pray, Father, in the days to come, we will begin to identify why we're here and our part to play as members of Rock Point Church, as members of this community, and just to simply do good. And as we look outward and not inward, I thank you, God, that you will give us opportunities that far exceed our expectations, our dreams, and our hopes. And we will find fulfillment in being generous, in being kind to others. I thank you, Lord, that your word says, he who tries to save his life will lose it. But the one who loses his life will find it. And I pray specifically for that one now who's been holding on to their life, their lifestyle, the way it's always been, the things that are comfortable and convenient and familiar. I pray, God, that if they will simply release that today, that, God, they will find true life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.